Hey, good morning. We're going to worship out and stand up. We're going to sing together. From the rising of the sun From the rising of the sun To the ending of the day One name alone be praised Every nation Every nation, tribe and tongue
today we talk about the maker of the heavens, the maker of the earth, and uh, that's kind of what our songs are all about today, is how God has, uh, how God has formed us and he's made us, made everything that we see, uh, how the heavens just declare uh, his handiwork. Now sing with me, Lord of all creation. And Lord of all creation, of water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacles, a glory to the Lord on high, see God of wonders, God of wonders beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy, and the universe declares your majesty. You are holy, holy, and Lord of heaven and earth. Lord of heaven.
If you're still struggling with life in the real world, you're going to love our latest home speaker device. Hey, Dad, what kind of pliers should I use on this? Uh, you should be using a wrench. Oh, do I have a wrench? You have three. Ah, thanks, Dad. Introducing the Dad Personal Assistant, our newest smart speaker with all the character and compassion of a father. Up and at him, it's a beautiful day. Dad, it's Saturday. Yeah, it's a great day to get outside. It's 6 a.m. Well, then you better get moving before it gets any later. Designed with advanced features, the Dad PA connects to all your other smart home devices. Dad, please set the thermostat to 70 degrees. No problem. Setting the thermostat to 68 degrees. Um, no, let's keep it at 70 degrees. Sure thing. Thanks, Dad. We're going to save so much money. He syncs with your calendar to help you stay on track. Looks like you're overdue for an oil change. Oh, hey, you're right. Can you schedule one for Friday? I've already got it scheduled. Just don't miss it, okay? <laughs> okay, I won't. <laughs> Seriously, don't miss it. The Dad PA is always watching on for you. Lights on. Uh, hey, it's getting late. I think it's about time for Brad to head home. Uh, Dad? The Dad Personal Assistant includes a wealth of knowledge and opinions on a wide variety of subjects. Dad, can you help me with my taxes? Dad, do you know a good mechanic? Hey, Dad, can you tell me a joke? Sure. The joke is one billion dollars. Uh, I don't get it. That's right. And you never will. Ah, nice one. <laughs> Oh, I'm hilarious. Based on God's original design, the dad personal assistant is wise, caring, faithful, and devoted. Don't worry. You've got this. You are the strongest person I know. You have made me so proud. You are God's child, and you don't need anyone else to complete you, especially not Brad. <sighs> Really, Dad? I'm just saying, there's other fish in the sea. Okay, wow. The Dad Personal Assistant. Always thoughtful, always dependable, and always there for you. Uh, well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Man, it feels good in here, doesn't it? It feels like, uh, not just the temperature, uh, but it just feels good uh, to be in this room with you all. Uh, there's a few things to mention. Uh, there's Club W Summer Edition coming up uh, in like a week. It's like the end of this month. Uh, parents, you can find registration forms online, gatewayweb.org. Uh, you can also, there's, uh, there's all kinds of positions to fill for that still. We're still looking for some volunteers. There's a sign-up sheet in the lobby, or you can track down Mr. Lee if you have questions about that. Uh, in about two weeks, Family Promise is happening. That July, starts July 4th, uh, and there's all kinds of ways to serve in that ministry as well. There's a big whiteboard uh, in the lobby. Uh, you can talk. There's all kinds of opportunities on there to sign up for, and there's going to be someone standing by that whiteboard hanging out. You can ask them questions about how to be involved in that. Next Sunday at 1230 uh, is a quarterly business meeting. If you're a member, uh, we invite you to join us for that. And, of course, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Uh, we're going to pray for fathers. 
We're going to take time to pray for our dads. We take time to remember them, to celebrate them in a special way, not because our culture dictates that we do that today, but we take this day as an opportunity to remember them in prayer, to bring them before God, to give to them, right? To be able just to, like, honor them in a special way, to be able to even extend grace to our dads because we know that none of us are perfect. But my dad is a gift from God. He has given me him, and my heavenly father uses my dad. He has used my dad in my life. He continues to use my dad in my life to protect me and to provide for me to encourage me, to slap me upside the head occasionally when I need it, right, to, to love me. And then I have taken that and I have brought that over into the relationships that I have with my children. So, Dad, happy Father's Day and thank you. And happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. We collectively say thank you. We say thank you for the roles that you have played in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community. Let's pray to God for our fathers. Father, we are so grateful for the relationships that we have with our dads, with our grandpas, uh, with foster dads, for all the, 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 the roles of father that you've placed in our life. We are thankful to you for that. And so we commit to them, to you, and we ask for you to do things in them that we can't do. We ask for you to do things uh, from your power and your wisdom in their lives. We ask for your encouragement in their lives. Oh, God, we ask for your joy. Give them joy to be able to enjoy the things and the responsibilities that you have given to them. We ask for your power. We ask for your strength. We ask for your endurance in their lives. We ask also for kindness and goodness. We ask for your power to be continuing to guide us and to direct us and to lead us to your son, Jesus. May we follow hard after you all of our days. And Father, we pray also for this offering. This is a gift to you, our heavenly Father. God, may you take joy in our gifts to you. May it honor you this morning. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to do something this morning. Did you guys a new song? Uh, it's based out of Psalm 150, but it really just echoes the language of the Psalms. And I'm going to go through the chorus with you, because I think it's going to sound really good with all of us singing. It goes like this, ready? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and sing His grace, all creation. Let's try just that much. Ready? Do it with me. Ready? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing His greatness. All creation. All right, good. Praise the Lord. Raise your voice. You had to know you did. From furthest east to west. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's just try that one more time together, okay? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing His grace. All creation. Praise the Lord. Raise your voice. 
You had to know he gives From furthest east to west Let everything that has breath praise the Lord Alright, when we get to that part, you'll know what to do Why don't you stand up and let's sing this together of our God and King. 
Is there not to sing with you guys this morning? Take a moment and greet one another. Kids are dismissed to Kids Church. See you back here in a few minutes.
Well, well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to have you here again on this Father's Day. Let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll dive into the Word. Father God, we thank you for uh, another beautiful day, uh, a day to wake up, to know you, and to know that we are loved by you, to know the grace and the peace and the connectedness to you that comes through your son, Jesus. And I pray for us this morning as we open your word, Father, and, and learn some things about you and, and what you've done and what that means for us. I pray that you will open the eyes of our hearts so that we may see you and that we may hear from you the things that we need to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, it's good to have you here this morning. We are uh, making our way this summer through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed we've been talking about for oh, almost about a month now. We've been telling you that uh, the Creed is uh, the oldest of creeds that we have, probably written first versions around 180, 190 A.D. in its simplest forms and uh, revised until about 500 A.D. It is a uh, brief summary of beliefs of the early church. And when I say brief, I mean uh, it takes about a million words of the Bible and kind of distills them down to 111. So it's not exhaustive, it doesn't cover every topic, and it's not meant to. It was actually used originally uh, for people who wanted to be baptized. And they would memorize the creed and they would be taught the creed. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Uh, Christian, here's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible teaches. And it's the only creed to this day recognized by all Christian traditions, which uh, in itself makes it a fairly significant uh, document. So we've been making our way through the creed. And today we're coming to the phrase, maker of heaven and earth. We've been singing about that this morning. Now, every morning I kind of have a routine when I get up as I'm getting ready for my day. Um, I'm brushing my teeth and stuff. Usually uh, I've got an iPad, and so I, I usually read the news while I'm doing that. Uh, sometimes I listen to the news. Sometimes I listen to Albert Muller or someone else and kind of get caught up on the day. Most of it is bad news. Most of it's, you know, hard stuff to hear. Uh, I get on Facebook. I see what people are posting. A lot of it's just sad. A lot of it's tragic. Um, I get on the road. I, you know, I, I drive to get coffee. I see what's happening on the roundabouts. It's just kind of a great picture of, of humanity in general and all the confusion uh, in the world today. Um, and oftentimes as I'm doing that, honestly, uh, I, I dream of a, of a better world. Do you ever dream of a better world? Do you ever dream of a world where people aren't all stressed out and taking it out on the roundabouts? You know what I mean? Like a world where people are at peace. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to get up in the morning and go out into the world and, and bump up against people who are all at peace? There's no anxiety. There's no stress. There's, people aren't in a hurry. People aren't trying to outdo one another. In a world where love reigns, we wouldn't even know. We couldn't even imagine what that looks like. In a world as it should be, where there's no violence, you know, uh, where there's no abuse. Imagine that, where there's no cancer. That would be awesome. No addictions. No overdue bills. No shame. Sin is dealt with. It's, it's done. We, we get it. We're connected to the Father in that way. No natural disasters, hurricanes, droughts, <laughs> volcanoes, right? Every day we hear about this stuff. No fear. No fear in life. 
Because the world is as it should be. In Genesis 1, it shows us a world that once existed where we were meant to live. And it's, it's something that, as one writer put it, is almost baked into our bones. And, and it comes out in our stories, in our movies, in books, in myths, in utopian visions. Of course, not everybody feels that way. Sometimes you come across people, I read this quote this week from a guy named Edward Carnell, and he said this, not really encouraging words, modern man appears to be but a grown-up germ, sitting on a gear of a vast cosmic machine which is someday destined to cease functioning because of a lack of power. Wow, that's, that makes your day, right? On the other hand, as Christians, what do we affirm? We affirm something dramatically different. We believe something diametrically opposed to what our culture says today. We have been going through the Apostles' Creed. We have been saying the Creed together. And so we're going to say it again together. This is maybe, I don't know, maybe the last weekend, I'm going to show all of it up on the screen. And if you just have this memorized, then you're up to date. All right, so let's, let's do this together. We're going to go through it slowly. Say, and, and I'd encourage you, if you don't need it, you know, don't look at it. Just look up at ceiling, look at me, something like that. Here we go. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Every time that we recite that creed, one of the things that we are doing is we are confessing that God is our creator. He is, he is our maker. To confess the creed is to confess that we are not some kind of cosmic accident. We are not merely uh, tissue and, and chemicals. It, it says that we came from somewhere. Actually, it says that we came from someone. And it says that we are going somewhere, that we have a future that's out in front of us. And today I want to I talk about this, and I want to begin by talking about what we're going to call God's extravagant power, that when we think about God as creator, we are exposed to a certain kind of power, if you will. Now in Genesis 1, that we'll look at in a few minutes, um, it has this, this, this picture, this story of how God created. Uh, John Ortberg was writing about this years ago, and he described what Genesis 1 might look like if God were more like, more like us. This is what he wrote. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, so God had to get out of bed and go to work. He went to work and filled out a requisition to separate light from darkness. He considered making stars to beautify the night and planets to fill the skies, but he thought it sounded like way too much work. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day. And he looked at what he had done and he said, yeah, it'll have to do. On the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land. And he made all the dry land flat, plain and functional so that, behold, the whole earth looked like Idaho. He thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it wouldn't be worth all the effort. 
And God looked at what he had done that day, and he said to himself, it'll have to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the sky, and a carp to swim in the waters, and a cat to creep upon dry ground. And God thought about making millions of other species of all sizes and shapes and colors, but he, he couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any other animals. And in fact, he wasn't even crazy about the cat. So God looked at all that he had done and he said, I guess it'll have to do. And so he breathed a big sigh of relief and he said, thank me, it's Friday. Now, God, of course, didn't create the world that way. When we read the story about how God created the earth, in fact, I'm going to read for you from Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to put it on the screen. Um, I'm just going to read this for you. Uh, this is a slightly edited version, but I want, you to, I want you to listen. And as you listen to me reading this, ask yourself, what is the, what is the concept that seems to be at the center of this story? What keeps coming up again and again and again? I might try to help you just a little bit, but I'm doing this because I want to I make a point. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was an evening, and there was a morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry earth appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, and which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And so God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and, and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. When we come to Genesis chapter 1, we see a proclamation not just of God, but of the extravagant power of God. God merely speaks, it says, and things happen. He speaks and there is light. He speaks and there are oceans and, and there are lakes and there are rivers. He speaks and there are plants and there's, there's vegetables and there's apples and pears and there's the sun and there's the moon. There's planets and stars in the night sky. God speaks and there's fish and there's whales and dolphins and there's birds in the sky and there's ham, you know, running around and, and tigers and elephants and kangaroos. And, and then it says he makes mankind in his image and he declares this is all very good. Now, a lot of times when we come to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, the emphasis often can be on um, the views or the mechanism of creation. Now, as I read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, that's not what I see as a primary focus. But let's just imagine for a moment that we want to talk about what that means. How did God create the heavens and the earth? It says that he spoke them into existence, but we're not really given more details than that. Now, amongst Christians, there are some, there are some major views and I, I'm not going to get into details about this. I'm going to give you some broad categories here in your notes. The first is uh, what some people call a young earth creation. Um, that creation was a miraculous act of God, that he merely spoke things into existence, and that they happened that it consisted of six 24-hour days. Um, that he created the earth with apparent age. So, so maybe on the day that the earth was created, it already looked like it was millions or billions of years old. People who hold to a young earth creationism reject uh, the idea of, of one species evolving into another, like apes into humans. They see that as antithetical to what Scripture is teaching, and indeed we can say that it is. There's another view called uh, old earth creationism, um, and this is a little bit different in that it says that, that God created the universe, but instead of six 24-hour days, they often refer to what they call a, a day-age theory. Um, it views the days of Genesis as geological ages. And there are many, many kind of uh, flavors of old earth creationism. Uh, I've talked to people who believe that a day could have been uh, a, a year, a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years. There's not really any consensus there. One of the things that they'll often say, though, is that the fossil record doesn't reveal a process of evolution, but of millions of acts of special creation. So that what you see as you go down through the fossil record is not evolution, but special acts of creation as God continues to create what's on the earth. Uh, I can tell you this. Um, I have no idea of numbers or of percentages, 
But I know, for instance, that we have people in our church that um, adhere to one or the other of these. We have both of these. And within there, there's a lot of variation in terms of what people believe. And over the last few weeks, I've had a lot of you come up to me knowing that we were going to be talking about um, creation and letting me know what your view was uh, and why your view is the right view. And I actually have I've enjoyed all of those conversations. They've been great. But I just, again, want to say that there's a lot of variation that exists. In fact, there's one more that we could put on here. I wouldn't put it on here, but it's on a lot of lists, and that is the idea of deistic evolution or theistic evolution, which simply says there is a God, and God, when God created the world, it was kind of like someone creating a clock, and they designed the clock, and they wound it up, and they pushed it off, and then they never got involved. They're like, like let's just see where this thing goes. Now, deistic evolutionists have a lot of different ideas, but generally what they're going to say is that we are the product of evolution, that God doesn't get involved in his creation. He doesn't work miracles. Jesus didn't walk on water. He didn't rise from the dead or any of that. Again, a lot of people will put this on the list of possibilities. I would not put it on the list, but I put it on the list so I could tell you that I wouldn't put it on the list. That's why it's there. What I would say is this, and I, I tried not to give it away too much, as I read Genesis 1. But I think when you read Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, you begin to notice that the focus is not on the how of creation. It's on the who. It's on the who of creation. And a lot of times as Christians, we miss the point. We get so caught up in the how that we don't see the who. It's been said that Genesis isn't a science textbook. It doesn't give us a lot to work with. In fact, it probably couldn't because we wouldn't have the intellect to even understand what it is that he's trying to say. As it is, God kind of speaks in baby talk for us. He talks about God speaking everything into existence. And I believe that's exactly what happened. But the, me the mechanism of that is not something that's explained to us. But it does say that God spoke everything into existence, that this is how powerful and creative he is. Genesis 1 isn't meant to explain the science of creation. It's to introduce us to the creator, to the one behind it all. It says, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, we've talked about that a few times during this series, the idea that, that something has to be eternal. Something has to not have a beginning. Some people believe that it's just, it's just matter. It's just it's molecules and it's chemicals and the, and the matter of the universe. And when I talk with people like that, they'll say, well, I just believe that matter has always been. And, and, and we can, you know, they'll say, but you believe in a God who's always existed. And that's weird. That's, that's crazy. How could that be? How could God have always existed? Well, I don't know. How can matter always exist? Right? Something has to be eternal. Something has to be forever. No matter what view you take, you have to take it by faith. It says that God calls the world into existence. He says that, that um, he does it ex nihilo. That is, um, he creates what is out of nothing. He didn't reorganize matter that already existed. It wasn't like when I was a kid, I had a big bucket of Legos. And it got bigger as each year went by. And sometimes I'd go next door with my, my next door neighbors and we'd put all our Legos together and we would create stuff. Right? We'd just recreate stuff and at the end of the day we'd take it apart and next day we'd get back together. That's not what God is doing. He's not recreating things out of things that exist. It says he created everything out of nothing by merely speaking things into existence. He's, he's totally free to design as he desires. Calvin said this. He said the cosmos is the theater of God's glory. 
God's glory is woven into the very fabric of things if you have eyes to see. Isaiah 40, 26 tells us this, lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these stars? He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. When Isaiah looked up at the night sky and saw all of those stars, he would have had no idea that the nearest of those stars is 39 trillion miles away. What he saw in the night sky was just a tiny patch of our galaxy, which has in it over 100 billion stars, and that beyond our galaxy are, are millions of other galaxies. Think about this. The, the diameter of the observable universe, which of course is not the whole universe, but the diameter of the observable universe is estimated to be about uh, 93 billion light years. You say, well, how many miles is that? Well, a light year is about six trillion miles. I, I was going to put it on here, but I can't fit it all on here in a meaningful way. In fact, trying to put the size of the universe in perspective is always an exercise in futility. So I, I came across some pictures this week, and at first, so when I was working on the sermon, I thought, oh, this will help. This will be really cool. Um, Forgive me for my na naivety. Uh, so let's just put a little bit in perspective. So let's imagine here's the earth, and, and we're on the earth, and we're down here somewhere. Now, if we just pull back from the earth, then we get our, uh, our solar system. Now, this is going to become ridiculous uh, really soon, uh, but, and I apologize for that. But this is, so now the earth, which seemed right back here really big to us, is suddenly the earth is just right down here. It's just this little dot. And that's just on our solar system. Now, if we took our solar system and we were to back out a little bit, we would, we would see what we call the interstellar neighborhood. And now suddenly this solar system with our earth, right? Now we go down, now we go down, and we kind of go down, and now suddenly we're just right down here. And that's just our interstellar neighborhood. If we were to pull out, our interstellar neighborhood would be somewhere just a little dot right down here in the Milky Way galaxy. That's in just the Milky Way galaxy. Pull out a little bit farther into our local galactic group, which sounds like a TV series, doesn't it? Uh, suddenly, and then now the Milky Way is just right here. That's the Milky Way, right? Again, pull out we're down there, and now we're there, and now we're there, and we're there. Can you see? It's just kind of you pull out, you pull out, you pull out, you're like, how far out can we go? Well, we can go a little bit farther to the Virgo supercluster, and now we're just a meaningless dot. But we can go farther from what we know, uh, and we can look at the, so, uh, the local supercluster, and then well, let's just go to the observable universe. It means nothing, right? I mean, you, we, we can't get our, our mind right. And then here's something to think about. What's beyond the observable universe? Right? I mean, there has to be some—sometimes scientists will say, well, there's nothing. Well how, well, how can there be nothing? Is there like a wall, and then there's nothing beyond that? Or, right? I've always wondered, like, how does that work? Something. Something has to be beyond that. Now, a lot of times, when we think about the universe, the observable universe, and all that kind of stuff, sometimes people will say, uh, they'll react in, in two ways, sometimes in both ways. One is, well, I'm just, I'm nothing, right? I'm just, I'm insignificant, meaningless, destined for nothing. Another is that, wow, God is huge. God is almighty. God is amazing. That's really what Scripture says we ought to think. Genesis 1, 
the earliest readers would have been those who lived during the time of Moses, during the Exodus. Now remember a little bit about the context of the Exodus. The Hebrews had just uh, been delivered out of Egypt and they're about to enter Canaan. And they're surrounded by cultures that have their own creation stories, their accounts of creation. And in most of them, the sun and the moon and the sea were thought to be gods. And instead of worshiping the one who created the sun and the moon and, and the animals and the sea, they were worshiping the sun and the animals themselves. And we like to think that today we're way more sophisticated than that, that people today don't worship creation, but I think it's fair to say we live in a culture full of people who are in awe of creation, who, who study it, who recreate it, who value it, while at the same time ignoring the one who made it. After, uh, after I graduated from college, uh, before I moved up here uh, to go to seminary, that summer I lived in Oakland, California, and I ran a camp there out in the hills uh, for the summer. And Christy and I had met at, at college in Phoenix, and so I moved to Oakland, and she moved back home to Portland, which is where she was from. And we hadn't been dating very long, and I, we, we wanted to pursue a relationship, but we were kind of long distance. And so uh, in those days, way, way, way back then, we didn't have email, and we didn't have texting, and there was no Facebook. I know I'm blowing your mind. There was no Zoom. There was no, there was no cell phone. There was no iPhone. There was only, uh, like, there was long distance. Phone. Remember long distance and how expensive long distance was? And I couldn't hardly afford it. I could call, like, once a week, so I used to write you may have heard of these. They're called letters. And I would take out this stuff called paper. And, and I had a thing called a pen. And, and you probably heard about it. And I, I would write these letters. And I wrote a letter to her every single day. At the end of the day, I write, write a letter. Sometimes I wrote her two, sometimes three letters in a day. I was desperate. And um, I would write these letters to her. So now imagine, if you will, that six days a week, she's getting these letters in the mail. And as she gets these letters, um, they're amazing letters, they're encouraging letters, they're letters of love. And imagine that, I like to imagine that she was in love with me, and so she was excited to get those letters. And actually, we were talking right before church, and she's like, I still have all those letters. You could have brought them. And I'm like, no, I'm not bringing those letters. No one's reading those letters. Uh, and, and imagine that she's getting those letters every day, and she's just loving these letters. And then imagine one day that she gets confused about the source of the letters, and she falls in love with the mailman, right? Because she confused, now thank God she didn't, but imagine that she did uh, because she confused the, the deliverer of the letters with the source of the lever, letters. And I tell you this because I think a lot of people in our culture today have fallen in love with the mailman because that's what creation is. It is a, it is a letter to us that, that has been given to us so that we can know that there is a God and that we can know certain things about him. But so many people have fallen in love with creation and not with the creator. In Romans 1, it tells us this, claiming to be wise, they became fools. What did they do? They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Psalm 19.10, Psalm 19.1 tells us, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The created world is a messenger. It's telling us about God's wonder and his power. 
And in Genesis chapter 1, God blesses humanity and he gives us the earth. He gives us the earth to enjoy, but not to be confused by it. We are to enjoy it, but we are not to worship him. I read something this week that was really encouraging me. It's written by John Piper about C.S. Lewis. So he's writing about C.S. Lewis and he says this. He says, Lewis had the ability to see and feel what most of us see and do not see. He had what Alan Jacobs called omnivorous attentiveness. I love that phrase, omnivorous attentiveness. He just had this uh, ability, C.S. Lewis, to take it all in, to take everything in. John Piper says, I love that phrase. What this has done for me is hard to communicate. To wake up in the morning and to be aware of the firmness of the mattress, the warmth of the sun's rays, the sound of the clock ticking, the coldness of the wooden floor, the wetness of the water in the sink, the sheer being of things. And not just to be aware, but to wonder. Lewis helped me become alive to life. To look at the sunrise and say with an amazed smile, God did it again. He helped me to see what there is in the world. Things of which, if we didn't have them, we would pay a million dollars to have them. But having them, we ignore them. He convicts me of my callous inability to enjoy God's daily gifts. He helps me to awaken my day's soul so that the realities of life in God and heaven and hell are seen and felt. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want omnivorous attentiveness to everything around you? We are called to receive and enjoy the miracle of the created world as a blessing from the maker, from the maker, from the creator of heaven and earth. We have this creation when we read in Genesis chapter 1, what we discover is we have this amazing, powerful creator. We also learn something else. We learn uh, of what uh, scholars call God's relational character. When we confess that God is the maker of heaven and earth, we are saying many things. But one of those is that God is relational and God is personal, that he is intimately involved in the created world. We talked about this last week when we talked about God as, as Father Almighty. Now sometimes you'll meet people or read things and they'll, they'll, they'll say things like, God created the world because he was lonely. You ever heard that? Like I've heard that many times. Well, there was God and in the beginning he was lonely and so God created us. Like who wouldn't create us if you were lonely? In Genesis 1.26, I, I want you to notice this. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, who's the us? Who's the our? Well, this is the earliest hint of the Trinitarian nature of God. In fact, we confess that in the creed. It has three stanzas. It says, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus, the only Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Every other theistic religion claims that God was alone in the beginning. But Christianity teaches that God has always lived in a relationship for all eternity. God has never been alone. Now, again, we'll talk about this more in the future. But explaining the Trinity is something I simply cannot do to you. It's something I, I, can, I can explain that, yes, Scripture teaches that, that God is one, and yet God is three persons. And how can three persons be one? I don't know. It's one of the mysteries of, of Christianity. 
but God has never been alone. He has always had perfect love within the Trinity, and yet he chose to create men and women in his own image. Why would he do that? Well, here's what theologians like to answer. They like to say, because this is the nature of love. God is love, and this is the nature of love. It always wants to be shared. Love always wants to be shared. Think about it this way. Here's a, I read this this week. It says, on a human level, imagine, if you will, that a couple fall in love and they get married. They get married. And, and they're having all the fun in the world. They can sleep in as late as they want. They can travel. They can go out to eat. They enjoy time together. And then they go and ruin it all by having kids. Right? Having kids is one of the ways we reflect the relational character of God in us. It's natural to say, let's take what we have, let's take the love that exists between us, it's so amazing, we enjoy it so much, and let's invite some others into this relationship. For my wife and I, we did that. Many of you have been married and had kids, and you've done that as well. You, were in, you had a great life, but there was something in the nature of love that wants to invite others into that. Scripture talks about the Imago Dei, that we have been created in the image of God, and this is one of the ways that we reflect the image of God, that when we have the love of God in us, it's part of our nature, being created in God's image, to want to share the love that we have with others. In Genesis 1, we could say that the universe is just a stage. It is just a context for a relationship between God and those that he will create. That God looks at creation after humanity is made and he says, right, it is very good. It's kind of like a parent standing over the crib of their, of their newborn child and looking at that child sleeping and thinking, it is very good. Here's a practical question for you. What do you see when you look at other people? Other people who have been created in the image of God. What do you, what do you see? What, what do you think? What do you, how do you feel when you see people who are very different from you? Do you see faults and sins and failures and the differences between you and them? Or when you look at someone, do you see the Imago Dei? Do you see the image of God in that person? See, that, that, that's a very different way of looking at people. Do you look at someone, even if they're very different from you, even if they don't like you and make your, make your life difficult, do you see someone who God wove together in their mother's womb? Because he did. Do you see someone who maybe is lost or, or was lost, disconnected from their maker, but someone for whom Jesus came, just like he did for you, that Jesus sought out just like he did for you, that someone that Jesus died for rose from the dead and seeks to save by faith? You see, God is a relational God. This, this has come up many times and will come up many more times as we go through this series. The last thing I want to mention is this. I want to talk about God's redemptive purpose as we think about God as, as creator of heaven and earth. As maker of heaven and earth, we can say this, that God has a purpose for heaven and earth. In Romans 1, again, it tells us this, for God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, and so they are without excuse. Sometimes we like to say it this way, creation is a billboard for the existence of a creator. That, that nature declares certain things to us about God. First of all, it declares that there is a God, 
Uh, I can even remember before I was a Christian, being out uh, in, the, in the mountains uh, where we had a cabin under the, in the night sky, looking up at the stars and not knowing who he was, but knowing there was a God through creation. It tells us that God is obviously powerful, that he is good, that he is creative, that he is wise. But scripture also tells us that we need more than that. We need more than just a billboard to tell us that there is a God. If we are to come to a place of faith, we need something more. We need what we call special revelation. We often refer to creation as general revelation, telling us generally that there is a God and what he is like. But we need special revelation, and that's what the Bible is. It is a special revelation of God. And we've said this many times during this series. In fact, we could just call it the self-disclosure of God. Because when we say, what does, what does Scripture reveal to us? Well, it reveals God to us. Because if God had not explained himself to us, we would not know him. We would not know what he is like. We would not know about him. And so we have the Bible, and so we have special revelation. A lot of times we talk about the gospel. And what does the gospel tell us about God? As we, as we study the Old and New Testament, it tells us that we were created by God. We were created in God's image, and we were created for God, that we were created with, with purpose. Scripture also teaches us, special revelation teaches us that we sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, because of our sin, because of taking the life that God gave us and, and walking away from God, we sinned against God. And because of that sin, we were disconnected from God. Scripture talks about us being dead in our soul, that there is no life in us. But God didn't leave his sinful creation behind. It says that he came after us, that Jesus came down to this earth and he, he lived among us. He, he walked among us. He taught us about God. He gave us special revelation. He was special revelation. He was God in the flesh. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. It says to take care of our sin problem, that he went to the cross where he suffered. We'll talk about that. Where he died, where he was buried. But he rose again from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he conquered sin. And he conquered death. He appeared to many. He ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And he intercedes for us. And he saves by faith. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it's interesting that this is how the New Testament begins. It might sound familiar. In the beginning. But instead of saying in the beginning God, it says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word here is Jesus. And there's a, there's a ton of stuff going on underneath this Word for Jesus' Word. I know it's confusing to say that there's a lot under the Word, Word. But there is, because this Word in the Greek has the idea of reasoning. That's one of the ways of thinking of it. It's the reasoning or the explanation of God. That it's describing Jesus as the Word because he is the explanation of God to us. It tells us that, uh, what God is like. While Genesis tells us about creation, the gospel tells us about recreation. In John 1, 14, it goes on and it says, and the word, that is Jesus, became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's gospel shows us that the work of redemption is linked to that of creation. There's this connection between John 1 and, and Genesis 1. That God does not abandon his creation after sin. So why did God create us? What was this all about? Ephesians 1 tells us this. Even as he chose us in himself before the foundation of the world, before the world 
God had chosen us, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose, to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, that we, would be, that we bring glory to God, that our salvation, our redemption on this stage of the universe would bring glory to God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Here we go again. According to his purpose. This was his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Again, going back to the beginning of the sermon, John Calvin again said this, the cosmos, the universe is the theater, if you will, of God's glory. It is a stage in which God's glory can be displayed for not only us, but for all created beings that might be watching on us right now. The purpose is to display the glory of God through saving sinners through Jesus Christ. Paul uses this creation language when he talks about salvation. In 2 Corinthians, so he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, notice he is a new creation. The old, the old creation has passed away, and behold, a new one has come. And there are very practical implications for us. Not just that when we go out for a walk or for a run or for a hike and we look up at the stars and we recognize the one who made it and we give him glory, which we should do. But there are practical implications, not, not just for us, but on us, if that makes sense. You see, what this teaches is that you are not self-created. You do not create yourself. You have a creator. And therefore, your life does not belong to you. Your life belongs to the one who created you. As one writer said, God has a claim upon me, and I must live in light of that reality. There's a story in Matthew 22. Jesus is ministering, healing, he's teaching, and the Pharisees, who don't like him, they want to trap him. And so they go and they ask him a question. It's supposed to be a question that he can't answer without getting in trouble. And they ask him this question. The question is this, should we pay taxes to Caesar? I love the question. It's, it's a trap because if he says, yes, you should pay taxes, then he'll be in trouble with all the Jews. And if he says, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, then he'll be in trouble with the Roman government. So it's supposed to be a question that he cannot answer without getting in trouble, right? They're not really interested in truth. They just want to get him in trouble. And you may remember the, you might remember at least the first part of the answer Jesus gives. It says that he had a coin and he said to them, whose likeness an inscription is this. We know that coins were always imprinted with, with a picture, with a likeness of, of Caesar. And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Right? This money, it's got his picture, so it belongs to him. If he wants it back, give it to him. And to God, the things that are God's. It's another way of asking whose image is stamped on you? Well, that would be God. You've been created in his image. And you belong to him. Your life belongs to him. Your time belongs to him. Your schedule 
your days belong to him. Because you've been created in the image of God. His likeness is stamped on you. Your talents belong to him. Your relationships belong to him. Your stuff, right? Go home, open up the garage. Woohoo, look at all. Right? That belongs to him. Your paycheck belongs to him. Your free time, you say, what is that? Right? That belongs to him. Your job belongs to him. Your retirement belongs to him. What? Your words belong to him. Your decisions, your reactions, your affections belong to him. You are created in Mago Dei in the image of God. His image has been stamped on you. What did Jesus say? Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You are God's. Augustine said this, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of you and of me. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you again as we think through the creed line by line. But it's not the creed that's meaningful to us. It's where it came from. It's your word that it declares to us as we've seen today that you are creator of heaven, you are creator of earth, and you've created each one of us. We were created in your image. Your image is stamped upon us and it means that we are yours. We belong to you. And through the blood of Christ sins have been washed away and we have been made right with you. We are children of God. Today, Father, we confess, not just with words, but from the heart, that you are God the Father Almighty, that you are maker of heaven, you are maker of earth, you are maker of each one of us. We belong to you. And today, Father, once again, in our hearts, we, we consecrate ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you, our thoughts to you, our emotions to you. We give our relationships to you, the, the person sitting next to us, we give that to you. The people we'll go home to, we give that to you. The jobs we'll go to tomorrow. The free time that we'll have. The retirement, all of it. We give all of it to you. Maker of heaven and earth. We worship you today. We thank you for creating this, this wonderful place that we live. We thank you for creating us. We thank you for creating the loved ones around us. And today, Father, we confess in you. We belong to you, maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you for joining us today. Have a wonderful Father's Day. Stay cool this week. And we'll see you next weekend.